All right, all right. We are in the seventh week of our Revelation series here at Lake Point Church. And um, I tell you, God has been speaking to me personally. I know he's been speaking to many people in this series. We have taken the book of Revelation and literally have read every single word. And it's not just a reading session. It's an opportunity for us to uh, see what God is showing uh, to us and uh, how God is speaking to us. And uh, a book like the Revelation uh, book is, uh, is something that many people sort of uh, shy away from because they don't understand it. And I tell you what, I, I've read this book many times, This actually this letter many times, and um, there were many things that I just didn't really understand it. And now I don't, I'm not up here saying I understand it all right now, uh, but there's a more that I understand after going through, doing more study on it, uh, reading other commentaries, and praying about it, and asking the Lord to reveal this amazing message uh, to our church today. Week one, we talked about the seven churches. It's a letter to the seven churches, and just reminding us, okay, are we lukewarm? Um, are we uh, sold out for Christ? Have we lost our first love? Then we saw God on the throne in week two, saw what that looked like. Week three, week three we looked at the uh, seven seals. God had a scroll on his, uh, holding in, in his hand on his throne, and the scroll had seven seals on it, and the only person that can open those seven seals is Jesus Christ, and uh, the seven seals were about military conquest, civil war, famine, plagues, and then week four, we talked about the great tribulation, when the seventh seal uh, revealed um, the seven angels with the seven trumpets, and uh, with each angel and with each sound of the trumpet uh, came a variety of judgments that was poured out on the evil in this world. So, But keep in mind that during this great tribulation, and uh, it comes after the rapture, when God raptures his people uh, into heaven for those who accepted Christ. And, uh, but God will open the eyes during the great tribulation of about 144,000 uh, people who are Jews, and they will understand who Jesus Christ really was. And they will put their faith in Christ, and they will lead others to Christ. Week five, we talked about the beast. 666, we were introduced to this beast, the Antichrist, and we, uh, we, this is what will happen when the seventh trumpet is sounded. And then last week, uh, we, um, we read how the angels uh, poured from the bowls of heaven the final wrath of God's to God towards sin and Satan. And uh, it all ended with the Battle of Armageddon. And so this week, today, we will look at the fall of Babylon. So if you remember from last week, I mentioned that Babylon not only represents the ancient city, evil city of Babylon, but it also represents the Roman Empire and the, and the evil satanic spirit of Babylon that we notice in other evil empires in the past and even uh, today. Like, for instance, the, the, the German Nazis. I mean, you could probably say that was a Babylonian spirit. Okay, that was an evil spirit. So the, um, and there could even be some, uh, some today. Obviously, we can look at some, uh, some countries and, and some uh, um, sort of re uh, you know, religious groups, Islamic religious groups who, uh, who go out and they kill Christians. We could say that's sort of a Babylonian uh, spirit. And so the details regarding the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath are explained in these two chapters we're going to visit today. So chapter 17 and 18 are the details what happens when they poured out the seven bowls. So we saw that they poured out the seven bowls last week. This week um, we will um, 
we will see exactly what happens. So chapter 17 begins with the description of the great prostitute and of the beast. So let me read this real quick. We're in Revelation chapter 17, just verse 1 and 2 for right now. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Okay? So we're going to talk about, let's, let's see the description of this great prostitute. Verse 3. Then the angel carried me away. Again, this is a vision. We're reminded that John is in a vision. He sees this. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. We saw this beast earlier in Revelation. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's own holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly Astonished. Yeah, that would freak me out as well. So this prostitute image is used uh, by ancient prophets to describe wicked cities. Th- this harlot is ruling over many people, nations, and languages. She represents the city of Rome, while the beast represents the empire uh, that, that Rome ruled. But she also represents current and future kingdoms. These kingdoms of today are more difficult to recognize because they are hidden behind government structures and financial entities. So notice in verse 5, verse 5 where it says, her name is a mystery. This is quite possibly the name of a wicked city that exists today, but that was not formed at the time of John's vision. Maybe he didn't know what that city was. It was a mystery. Um, The great prostitute is drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This is a reason for the judgment against the ba- Babylon, the great. So this great prostitute has, has the blood of the martyrs, Christians, and, um, and because of going after the Christians and killing them, this is the reason why these, um, these martyrs, this is why God's judgment came on the people. So let's see, uh, let's do an explanation of the prostitute. Verse 7. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast, she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast, which you saw, once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go into destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. And I'll explain that a little bit later. Verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to its destruction. 
The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Verse 15. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. But for God who uh, has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is a great city that rules over the kings of the earth. All right, so that right there is chapter 17. So let's do some explanation. So the first explanation about the beast is given in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, The beast was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go into destruction. This sounds like the description we first noted with the beast when we saw the beast back in Revelation chapter 13. Remember that we saw this terrifying beast that has had a fatal wound to one of its heads. But then the fatal wound heals and the earth marvels at the strength and power of uh, the beast. I believe this, this fatal wound imagery is the same meaning as was, is, and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless, uh, bottomless pit. I've heard some commentaries uh, say that uh, whoever this, um, this beast is, this Antichrist, uh, they, will, uh, they will be uh, maybe shot, or they would feel like the people uh, have, have shot them. They may have died, uh, may have thought pe- they have died, and then have sort of come back to life. Um, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of things you can read into that. Uh, in verse 9, it says, The beast with seven heads represents seven hills. The city of Rome is built on seven hills. In verse 18, The woman you saw is a great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And it's talking about Rome. The Roman Empire ruled over, on seven hills and over several kings, kingdoms and kings and nations. But I remind you, as with most prophecy, this is talking about more than Rome. It's a prophecy for the end times. It is interesting to note that God declares his involvement in the affairs of the world as seen in verse 17. Too often we can think that God is not active in the rise and fall of nations or the affairs and events that occur on the earth. Verse 17 reminds us that God would put in the hearts of the leaders of the earth to turn against Rome for its destruction. Our Lord is alive and active, and he is uh, involved in the affairs of this world, and we should pray that God acts for his glory and his purpose. So verse 17, where it talks about he puts into the hearts of the people to rise up against this great prostitute um, in the end times. You know, it just shows us that God is involved in, uh, in our affairs. We just had uh, a, a, a new election this past week. Uh, unless you've been hiding under a rock, <laughs> um, you know, don't know that. Uh, we have a new president-elect, and God is involved in, in that process. Uh, God is the one who chooses 
um, our, um, you know, our, our new presidents. He works in the hearts and minds of the people. And God, and God encourages the church to, uh, to fall on their knees and to pray and uh, to ask for God to speak to the hearts of the people and to guide this country. We did that last week. We broke into a large circle in our church, and we prayed for this election. We prayed that God would have his way. Maybe your candidate did not win. Maybe your candidate did win. Maybe you're thinking, well, my, my candidate would have done better. I'm not sure if I trust this, um, this person. You know, we, we, all, we all don't really, we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't know how they're going to govern. We don't know uh, whether it would have been Clinton or whether it be Trump. We don't know how they're going to govern, but we do know this. We know how God governs, and we know that God is on his throne, and we know the character of God because it's in his word, and he shows us that. So let's move on and so, uh, to chapter 18. We're, gonna do, we're only going to do chapter 17 and 18, uh, so let's move on to there. So chapter 17 showed us that the fall of the great prostitute, Babylon. This was seen in Rome and other empires as well as empires today and yet to come. So the spirit of Babylon. Obviously, Rome is no longer the great power that it once was because that, that Babylonian spirit has moved on to other uh, entities, under other cultures and other nations. This prostitute is stripped of her power and authority and is burned up with fire. God is the one who purposed this fall to occur. So Revelation 18 describes the impact and meaning of the fall of Babylon, Rome, and current and our future evil empires. So chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I, John, saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit and a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings and the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Again, this not only describes the luxurious lifestyles of Rome, but also of modern day luxurious countries and societies. When it talks about fallen, fallen is Babylon, it, it talks about the past Babylon, but it's also talking about the future Rome because when John saw this vision, Rome had not yet fallen. History shows us that. Rome had not yet fallen. And so it's, it's prophesying the fall of Rome, even though it says fallen, fallen, is, um, uh, is this great Babylon, this great spirit. And so, but it's also talking about the future events at the end times when the great spirit of Babylon, whichever city or country it rules over, will fall. So next, we're, we will see um, uh, a call to God's people to escape judgment of Babylon. So this is a call to God's people. Verse 4 through 8, it says this, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, the prostitute, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. 
So explanation on that. The call of the voice from heaven is for the people of God to remove themselves from the ways and immoralities of Rome. Do not participate in the sinfulness of that world. Otherwise, you will share in the plagues that are coming upon Rome and her empire. God gives us an important warning. If you act like the world, you will be judged with the world. That's important. He's telling us it. This in his past few verses. If you act like the world, you will be judged with the world. Come out from the world and separate yourself from the Roman ways and sins and from the Babylonian empire, from this Babylonian spirit. So before we leave verses 4 and 8, we must see this paragraph contains very important messages for our country. The parallels are very strong. We are full of prosperity and wealth just like Rome. I'm talking about the United States. Most live in wasteful, luxurious living just like Rome. Our country shows the same arrogance in thinking, living just like Rome. Our country shows the same arrogance in the thinking that, that in this world power that we will never fall. Certainly the sins of our nation are heaped as high as a heaven. We see that. The more this nation turns people away from the true God to worship false gods and religions, the closer we come to meeting the same judgment that Rome met for its sins. So you say, on the last part that I, I was just reading, you say, well, what, what idols are we worshiping? Oh, there's lots of idols we worship. It could be in your pocket or hooked on the side of your belt or in your purse you know, what's the first thing we look at? What's the first thing I look at? I've got to ask myself, do I look at what other people are saying? Is social media our, our God that we worship? Is sports the God that we worship? Not saying that sports are bad. I love sports. I, I love seeing what's happening in college football. Number two, three, and four fell yesterday. <laughs> so... There's a lot of, of things, of idols that we can bow and we can focus on. What, is, what are idols in our life? You see the United States and you see what was just written there in, in Revelation about Rome. And we see a lot of that here in the United States. Now, I am a patriot. I love my country. And, I'm, I, and I love the men and the women who serve our country. But I think you would agree that our country had better watch its step. And our country needs to come back to Jesus. And our country needs to come back to God. And we need to fall on our knees. We don't need to think that, that we, can't, we can never fall. We can't think that way. We can't let our luxurious lifestyle. And, and you may say, well, I don't really live in luxury. According to the rest of the world, you and I live in luxury. And we depend upon that. And we say, it's mine. It's mine. That's one of the reasons why, why we, we have generosity as one of our five core values, to remind ourselves that it's not just about us hoarding our, our wealth, us hoarding our money. It's like, we, you don't have wealth. Yes, you do have wealth. According to, compared to the rest of the world, you and I have wealth. Rather than hoarding our wealth and keeping it all to ourselves, we try to teach uh, the attitude of generosity. And to be able to say, you know, Lord, uh, here's my heart. Here's my first fruits. I'm giving this to you out of faith and out of trust. We've got to not trust in ourselves. We've got to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Next section, the lament of the world, verse nine. Verse nine. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city and mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and uh, articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon, spice, and incense, myrrh, and frankincense of wine, and olive oil, and fine flour of wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship and the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, there was never a city like this great city. They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she had been brought to ruin. So let me do some explanation. The fall of the Roman Empire plunged Europe. The fall of the Roman Empire plunged Europe into the Dark Ages. That's what happened. Okay, do some research on it. And it decentralized the region. The world will end up wailing at the fall of Rome. The merchants of the earth will mourn because all of those trade routes will be lost. No one will be buying and selling across the earth any longer. The goods listed in verses 12 and 13 are a sample of the many goods that traded through the might of the Roman Empire. Their economy is crushed. All of the uh, luxuries and splendors that the people enjoyed are gone. Not only are the merchants and traders devastated by the fall of Rome, but the shipmasters and seafaring men who worked on the sea will also lose their wealth and businesses. While Rome does not sit on the coast, it had built an amazing trade city called Portus, just west of Rome, that did sit on the sea. It was a a magnificent port. But, um, But can't you see how the same vision can fit our Current city. So the city, this vision that we saw that that John saw of of all these of these ships going by this great city and and seeing how it's shining and glimmer and 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 bright in jewels and diamonds. Can't you see New York City in this vision? Can't you, a city like New York City. You know, this past summer, our students got a chance to go to a mission trip to New York City. And the very first thing we did, we were on Long Island, but the very first thing we did, we said, we want to see New York at night. So we drove straight to Manhattan, two vans and a U-Haul trailer, <laughs> going down Fifth Avenue, you know. But, but we saw New York at night, and it was amazing. When we came upon New York, it was all shining and glimmering, and it looked like diamonds all over it. Maybe that's what John saw. Maybe the ships right outside the harbor in New York City. Maybe that's, that's what he saw. 
a, a city much like New York. You see this fall of Rome, it was, and again, it didn't happen yet. And it's, it's very similar to the fall of Babylon, fall of Rome, and it, and it did fall, and it sent Europe in the, into the dark ages. This is what had happened because of that. And now you see, well, it's going to be a prophecy. Prophecy is for things that have happened and will happen. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the same sort of story. God is telling us, look, you got to turn to me because this is what can happen. And let's finish this out, verse 20 through 24. Rejoice over her, you heavens. So this is about the faithful rejoicing. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon, you could put in there the great spirit of Babylon, will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So this ends sort of the doom and gloom of Revelation. And next week, we're going to end Revelation, and it's all about the glorious scenes of heaven and the celebration when the enemy is finally defeated. Because in this Revelation series, as the tagline says, we win in the end. We win in the end. In this last part, I'm going to close with this about the conquering Christ, about how we win in the end. But there's a very cool connection I want to make with the prophet Isaiah. And this is so cool. I want you to listen to this. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Daniel, and with Jesus, and with this chapter. There's a connection here. I'm going to this last chapter. I'm going to show you how amazing is the thread that connects God's word. When Daniel was exiled to Babylon along with the Jews, the city was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel was brought to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar because of the sin of Israel. Uh, Jews were exiled to Babylon. And Daniel, the prophet, remember Daniel, the lion's den, you know, all of those things, da that same Daniel, this Daniel was a prophet. And um, when he was exiled there, while he was there, the city of Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. It was taken with very little struggle. Ancient Babylon was situated on the river Euphrates. The city was surrounded by these huge, massive walls. But the river Euphrates ran right through Babylon, entering and exiting through two large gates. So imagine this massive city, massive walls, huge walls. Armies can't penetrate it. And this river Euphrates going through, this big river going right through the middle of Babylon. And it had gates right where um, uh, connecting the walls and right up to where the waters uh, rose. And so these massive gates um, were there. 
So um, these gates allowed cargo ships to enter Babylon and do commerce right in the city. However, when both the outer and inner door, river doors and gates were shut and all entrances were closed, Babylon was secure. So how did Cyrus, a conqueror for Persia, able to take the city with scarcely a fight? In 538 B.C., when the scenes recorded in Daniel chapter 5, and you can go read this, Daniel chapter 5 were in progress and King Belshazzar and the uh, uh, Babylon, King Belshazzar and the subjects of Babylon were drunk with wine. So if you remember uh, where they're having this party and the hand is writing on the wall and, and it says something they can't read it, only Daniel can read it. This is what's happening right there. They're having this great party that's lasting for several days, even weeks. And so Cyrus and his army, during this party, Cyrus and his army were not far away. It is amazing how these Babylonians could be feasting and celebrating with the armies of the Medes and Persians uh, were conquering the outlying cities and villages and marching on the capital. They were throwing a party. They didn't care. They had put their trust in themselves, in the false security of their own walls. They were partying and getting drunk. Upstream from Babylon, Cyrus, the conqueror for Persia, was stationed his troops, and at the, general, at the given signal, they were begin to dig a channel which diverted the Euphrates River so it no longer flowed through Babylon. So they, they literally diverted the river Euphrates. And so it no longer, uh, so upstream, and, um, and so no longer flowed through Euphrates, uh, through, uh, through Babylon. So while Belshazzar and his lords drank and feasted, the army of Cyrus was lowering the waters in the bed of the Euphrates, preparatory, preparing to enter the city. In the midst of their feasting and rioting, none had noticed that the waters in the Euphrates was steadily diminishing. The besieging army of Cyrus, which the Babylonians thought could never get through the massive walls, were eagerly watching the river as it slowly moved into its new course. As soon as the waters had sufficiently subsided to allow the men to walk in the original bed of the river, they entered from the opposite sides, both sides of the city, and the reckless feeling of security the Babylonians had left open the gates meant to stop any underwater entry into the city. So the Persians, once in the riverbed, easily entered the city through the open gates. In that night, was Belshazzar was slain, and the kingdoms was given to Darius, who was the aged king of the Medes. And we talk about Daniel and Darius. You read, go, go through there. Uh, read, read about that in Daniel. So thus came an end of one of the proudest monarchies that have ever been upon the earth. The fall of Babylon was the signal of the deliverance of the Jewish remnant from their long and languishing exile under their Babylonian conquerors. Under the Persian rule, the command for their release was given. First by Cyrus, the conqueror of Babylon, then by the great kings who succeeded him. So Cyrus dried up the river Euphrates just as Isaiah the prophet said he would a hundred years earlier. So here we have Isaiah. Isaiah, remember, has a, a, a big prophecy, a big book. And, and in this book, he, he prophesies um, the birth of Christ. He prophesies the death of Christ, even how he's going to die. And he prophesies many things. And he even prophesies this event and even names Cyrus 
in that prophecy. Isaiah walked with God. So he says, um, God had predicted concerning Babylon and the Euphrates 100 years ago, before even Daniel, before this even happened. I will dry up your rivers, it says in Isaiah 44, 27. I will dry up your rivers. The Lord also spoke about Cyrus, who conquered Babylon, saying, I will open before him the two gates, and the gates shall not be shut. That's in Isaiah 45, 1. Moreover, God called Cyrus, get this, God called Cyrus my shepherd and anointed in, in Isaiah 44 and 45. The Cyrus was a, a type of deliverer, a Messiah or type of a, of a Christ. And he came from the east. And Isaiah 46 and 47 continues to prophesy of Cyrus, but also adds what can be only be future events. But it's all linked with the description of the destruction of Babylon. In Revelation 18, the pattern is repeated in almost identical fashion concerning end-time spiritual Babylon. So here we have this Isaiah prophesying how this kingdom is going to fall. Even the gates will be open. And they were going to dry up the river and even names Cyrus a hundred years before all this happened. And the Babylonian empire, they're just getting drunk and having a party. They're not even knowing what's going on. They're distracted. They're distracted by the things of their own culture, by the things of this world. And so here's a warning to us. Here's a warning to us. Are we being distracted? Are, are the waters slowly but surely coming down? Is our defense, our defenses for this country, for this world, slowly but surely drying up? Because the enemy is patient. The enemy would do everything he can to defeat us and to defeat you. And so are we being distracted? Are we partying in this country while the waters go down and while the enemy is about to attack? Let me ask you this. What Babylon are you stuck in today? That's my question. What Babylon are you stuck in today? Where are you being distracted? As a believer in Christ, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, what is distracting you from making sure that you're not prayed up and prepared for the enemy to attack? The call for the people is to come out from the nation and be separate. Do not engage in the sins of the nation. Do not be like the world. Bottom line of these two chapters, there's going to be some destruction that's going to happen, we've got to separate ourselves from the world. We cannot be like the world. If we are like the world, we're going to be judged with the world. So as we are followers of Christ, we cannot do the things the world does. Now, I'm just saying you can't enjoy things that are amoral, that have no morality at all. But we need to make sure that we do not participate in those things that are immoral and go against the biblical standards. Because judgment is coming 